don't know if your New Year's resolution is to do more running. I can see a few people who are ready and geared ready to go finding more running this year. Well, if you are a runner, or if you know about running, or if you've run in your life in your past, and I don't just mean running for the best, but proper running, you will know that although it's a physical thing, it is also very much a mental battle as well. Apparently, in a marathon, I haven't done one, but apparently in a marathon, when you, or when you run a long race, there will be a time where you come and you hit the wall. You heard that phrase, hit the wall. This is how it is described. Hitting the wall is basically about running out of energy. Your legs feel like concrete. Your breathing becomes labored. Your stride turns into a shuffle. Negative thoughts flood your mind and the urge to quit becomes overwhelming. Now, for some of you, that might feel like getting up the stairs in the evening, but for others, that's in the middle of a, of a marathon. Now, it's no surprise, is it, that when we come to the Bible, the Christian life in this passage here is likened to a race. It's likened to a race. And when we read the book of Hebrews, if you read it through, the readers of this letter have hit the wall. They're feeling like giving up. They don't want to go on anymore. They used to be on fire for Jesus. They used to love him. They used to do so much for him. Uh, this, uh, in, if you read in chapter 10, it tells us that they used to share the gospel with those around them freely. They used to give up things for Jesus. They were facing persecution, but they faced it joyfully because they were so aware that Jesus was worth it. But now, when the writer is writing this letter, they're not so sure. And they're thinking of giving up. They're not as excited as they used to be. They're not as joyful as they used to be. And they've almost stopped running. They've almost given up on the race. And the writer is writing this letter to say, get back in the race. Put your trainers back on. Pull your socks up. Get back in the race. You need to run. And you need to run with endurance. You need to keep on going. Before we go any further, do you realize that the Christian life is described as a race? And the word here used for race in the Greek is agona, which sounds a lot like and we get the word agony from. That means it is hard work. It is painful. It is a struggle. It is a fight. It is intense. The Christian life is that. So if you're here this morning, you're still wondering, um, am I a Christian? Or what is being a Christian? We need to warn you from the start that it is not a walk in the park. We're not called to something that is easy. We're not called to, if you trust in Jesus, all your problems just disappear. No, it is a fight. It is a battle. It is um, agony. It is painful. Do you realize that this morning? Is that what the Christian life looks like for you? Is there a matter, matter of struggle, of fighting? And if it is, let me ask you, how is your race going? Have you hit the wall? Maybe you look at your devotional time with God, your prayer life or your Bible reading, and you think, well, I don't have one. It's non-existent. Maybe lifting the Bible seems like concrete to you. When you pick it up, it's just so much hard work. Maybe you just don't feel to have any spiritual energy left, no go, and it's just so hard to get up spiritually and get going. And maybe the urge to give up just seems overwhelming. Just, I just, I can't keep going. Maybe you felt like you've stopped running. Maybe you've kind of pulled the pace off a bit. Maybe you're just jogging a little. Maybe you're walking. Perhaps you've been distracted and you're taking in other views. 
and the race is ahead. We're called this morning to run with endurance, to keep going. Get your trainers on. Let's get back in the race. If you've um, seen in um, long-distance racing, they often have pace setters, somebody who will just shoot out the front and just to kind of set the pace for people. They're not there to win the race. They're just there to, to kind of keep people going and keep the pace up. They don't finish. They kind of give up after about uh, a couple of laps of the track. And maybe you can see friends or family who used to be running well, but now they've given up. And it's discouraging. Um, Paul writes in Philippians, said, Many, have, I've often told you, even with tears, walk now as enemies of the cross. And you look at people who've given up. You think, well, it's so hard. How can I keep going? Well, God is telling us this morning through this passage, how can I keep going? Get back in the race. So what we're going to see is five tips from a coach this morning on how we keep going in the Christian life. How do we keep on running? How do we run with endurance? Five tips for us from the coach to help us. The first is this. Listen to the witnesses. Listen to the witnesses. Look what verse 1 tells us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Remember, if you see a therefore, it means something has come before, and you ask, what's it there for? What's the purpose of it? it? You know, we can't just jump in without seeing what's gone before. So what's gone before? Well, that's what I mentioned earlier in the service. That is the hall of faith. Here they are, all these heroes of the Old Testament um, that we hear about uh, well, how they have trusted in God. Faith, remember, uh, it's, it's uh, summarized for us and, and um, described for us in verse 1 of chapter 11, is the assurance of things hoped for. So that we know that the things that God has promised are true. A conviction of things not seen. So even though I can't see this, I believe that it's true, and I'm going to put my trust on it. So the people we see in chapter 11 had more confidence in the things they couldn't see than the things they could. So Abraham, we see, we're told in chapter 11, verse 8 to 10, he left his home to trust that God was going to provide something for him. He left what he could see, what he could touch, what he could feel, because God said, Abraham, go. And so because he believed what God said, and he had faith in what God said, more than what he could see, he went. That's faith. Or Moses, he had all the pleasures of Egypt, we're told in 11, 24, and 25. All the pleasures. He was, he was brought up in the palace of Egypt. He could have had whatever he wanted. But instead, he left all of that because God offered him something better. There was a greater joy. And because he believed what God said rather than what he could see, and he believed that as true and more true than what he could see, he had faith and he kept going. He had a greater treasure to live for. So we're called to live by faith. What does that look like for us? Well, maybe we wake up and it doesn't feel like God's promises are true today. It doesn't feel like it. Life's hard. Everything seems to be going wrong. The pressures seem to be too much. And it doesn't feel like God is near. It doesn't feel like he's answering prayer. His power doesn't seem to be working in us. But faith tells us this. The things I can't see, the things I can't feel, are still true even though I can't see or feel them. God's promises are real. We tell ourselves. He is with me. We tell ourselves. We tell each other. His ways are glorious. This is the path to great joy. Nothing takes God by surprise. 
He is working out his purposes, even though I can't make sense of anything that's happening around me. We live not by what we feel and what we see, but by faith. And here we're told, look, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Now, I know for years, I used to think that that meant you better be a good Christian because Moses is watching. Yeah? They're witnessing us. They're cheering us on. Look, there's Abraham over there. Don't slip up. But actually, when you look at what this is talking about, they're not witnesses of us. That's not the point. They are witnesses of God's faithfulness. So instead of being witnessing and watching us, imagine a courtroom and you've got a character witness and somebody stands up and says, I am a witness to this person's character and I say that you can trust them, they are trustworthy, you know, they are somebody you can rely on. Well, in the same way, all of chapter 11 are people who are witnesses of God's faithfulness. So say, look, we trusted him when it felt horrible and rubbish, when the pressure was all around, when it didn't feel it, we trusted him. And it's true. We're witnesses to his faithfulness. We're witnesses to his goodness. So as if Abraham is telling us, I gave up everything, my comfort, my home, everything that I knew, and I trusted God and he never let me down. Noah says, you know, people ridiculed me. I was on my own. There was nobody else building an ark, just me. But you know, I trusted God and he, and he was faithful. And Moses said, I could have had any sin I wanted. I could have gone, I let whatever I wanted happen, but I refused it. And I'm so glad I did because God is greater than anything Egypt could have offered. I kept on going. To those people who suffered that we read at the end there. I lost loved ones, but God has stuck by me and I've got through it. Isaiah, we think that it's talking about Isaiah who was sown in two in verse 37. I trusted that what God offered me was better than what I could have had in this world. And it's true. Keep going. Can you see how that can encourage us? They're not witnessing us and watching if we're going to trip up. They're saying, look, we've, we've tested and proved God's faithfulness. He'll never let you down. So this year, as we look to the year ahead, we need to make sure that we are listening to the witnesses, listening to what they tell us about God. How? Well, we can listen to the witnesses in the Bible, can't we? Those who are, um, we can read about their people, not for us just to copy, but people who we can learn from, and they fail, but they have an unfailing God. So we get stuck into God's word, and we say, what do these people prove about God's goodness? What do they tell us about him? Let's listen to those witnesses. But as well, church history doesn't stop uh, in the old, end of the Old Testament, does it? Or even in the end of the New Testament. We've got a, a whole history of the church where people are witnesses of God's faithfulness. There are great biographies we can read about people who've trusted and tried God in trialing times, and he's been faithful. So think of somebody like Isabel Kuhn, who, was, uh, who served God faithfully in North Thailand and in China. You can read her story and see how God helped her at, the, at such trialing times, and he was faithful. George Muller in Bristol, who saw God answer prayer in amazing ways. Read his story. George Whitfield, who saw thousands and thousands come to faith. These people aren't perfect. They have their, um, their problems and their issues, but they tried, tri tried God. They tested him, and they saw that he was he's faithful. Or Helen Rosevia, she went through horrendous abuse for the sake of Jesus kept going 
and was faithful and said, and she is a witness to us of God's faithfulness in his life. You know, we have witnesses throughout church history. And also we have witnesses in this room, don't we? You know that there are people in here who have been through trials and God has helped them and God is with them. And so they are an encouragement to us. We're walking alongside each other now. We are witnessing to God's faithfulness. As we think even of on Friday, our dear sister Margaret going to glory. She's a witness to us. I, I, I trusted him my whole life and he never let me down. We're surrounded by witnesses, surrounded by those who've gone before us, those who are with us. It shows us as well, doesn't it, that we need each other. Maybe one of the reasons you're struggling in the race is because you've isolated yourself from other Christians. You know, we could think of a coal fire. If you pull a coal out, I don't recommend it with your bare hands, but if you were to pull a piece of coal and put it over there, what would happen to it? It would cool off and not burn anymore. Where does the coal burn brighter when it's with other coals? In the same way, that's what Christians are. We need to be together, helping each other to keep going. Have you removed yourself? Are you this coal over here that's cooling down, struggling, because you've actually not letting Christians into your life or around you? We need each other to keep each other going. Listen to the witnesses. That's the first thing. What's the coach's tip to run with endurance? Listen to the witnesses. The second thing is this. Throw off anything that hinders. Look what we're told in verse 1. Um, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. We're to lay aside um, weights and sin that clings closely. Now think of a race. Think of a runner in a race in the starting line. You don't see people on the 100-meter sprint or on the marathon picking up like dumbbells and rucksacks and putting on loads of layers. Uh, What do they do? They strip off, don't they? They're streamlined. They'll even shave their legs and everything just to get as fast as they can. Any hindrance needs to go. I remember hearing about a man called Lloyd Scott. He did the London Marathon in 2002, and it took him six days to complete the marathon. Now, I'd be chuffed at that time, I think, if I did it in six days, but the reason he did it took him six days was because he was wearing an old diving suit. If you remember seeing the pictures on the news, one of these big, old, uh, 59 kilograms, 130 pounds diving suits, and he just walked around the London Marathon. Well, that's a rubbish way to try and win a race, isn't it, by putting on something so huge. But the idea here is throw everything off that hinders, because we need to run this race with endurance. Now, there's two things we're told to throw off here, isn't it? You see, we're supposed to throw off sin, which clings so closely. Now, sin is uh, things that we know that God hates, things that we know is going to slow us down spiritually. And we all know what that is. It's pretty clear in the Bible what God loves and what He doesn't love. What is there in your life that you know God is saying, you need to stop it? You know that's against what I want. You know that's going to damage you. You know it's not what's best. And God is saying, throw it off. If you don't throw it off, it's going to trip you up. And you'll be on the side of the race and you won't want to race. The nature of sin is it'll deceive us. And we'll think, oh, it's fine. No problem. Sin tells you, don't worry, it's not hurting anyone. And soon enough, you think you're in control, but you're not. And it's got control of you. We're, not, we're told to throw it off. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5? You know, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. Be radical with things that are going to trip you up. Because it's not worth it. 
Jesus wants to say, look, I've got eternal pleasures to offer you, and you're messing about with that. Flee it. Let it go. Cut it out. It is better, Jesus says, to lose a, a part of your body than your whole body go to hell. It's radical what he says, but what do you need to be radical with this year? What is there in your life that is, you know is wrong and it needs to stop? Don't finish today without putting something in place to say, I'm going to be radical with that this year. It needs to go. I'm going to cut that off. That's sin, which clings so closely. But it's not just sin that can slow us down. Do you notice that? Let us also lay aside every weight. Now, this is a bit trickier because it doesn't have to be something that is wrong that can slow us down. Other things can slow us down as well. Things that can be good. Things that can be a good thing um, for many people, but for us, spiritually, it pours water on our passion for Jesus. And this is where it's tricky because there's not one set list here to say, so don't do this, don't do that. No, we need to ask ourselves, what is good for me spiritually? What helps me to love Jesus more? And what hinders it? Maybe there's certain TV programs that you watch, and you, it's fine to watch them, but actually, it takes the sharpness off you when you watch them or books that you read, or magazines that you read, or a hobby that you've got that just takes up too much attention and time and drags you away from Jesus, maybe at certain places we go, and we know it's just not good for us. Again, there's nothing wrong with it, but actually for you, it is not helping you spiritually. And that's something that you need to think through and spend time, maybe set a time, some, uh, time this week to say, look, what is it that helps me in my love for Jesus and what is hindering it? Because we need to throw off anything uh, that, that hinders us. What does this passage say to do? Get rid of it, throw it away. You might say, well, it's not sinful. Well, that's true, it might not be sinful, but it might not be helpful. See, good things, as one writer puts it, good things can become God things. They become too important to us. What is there in your life that is distracting you, that is slowing you down, that is not helping you to love Jesus more? And pray that through the opposite as well. What is there that helps you to love Jesus? Do that more. Positively, what warms your affections and your heart towards Jesus? What thrills you? Maybe that is you need to make more time to listening to good music, good Christian music, or reading a good Christian book. Set time aside to meet up with a Christian who you know encourages you. Maybe it is setting time aside to um, go to a coffee shop with your Bible and just read it and enjoy that. What is it that you think, that's going to help me with Jesus? Do more of that. And what's hindering you? Let's cut that out. We're called to run this race with endurance. Throw off sin, which we know. What's God putting his finger on now? Throw it off. What is not sinful, but you know for you is not helpful. Throw it off, because we run with endurance. We're to run with endurance. So throw off anything that hinders. Listen to the witnesses. The third thing we need to do is this. We need to remember your race. Remember your race. Because look what it tells us here. Let us run with endurance the race that is uh, before, set before us. Each one of us has a race marked out for us. I've said we're doing it together, but actually there's going to be differences in our race. What do I mean? Well, look, just look 
a bit before in chapter 11, the bit we read earlier, listen to these words in verses 32 down to 35. Um, what shall I say for I tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, Samuel, and prophets? They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, um, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrection. Wow, what a, what a race to run. Seeing God doing these miracles, seeing God helping, seeing amazing answer to prayer. That's their race. But then in the same verse, verse 35, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went out in skins and sheeps and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated. See, some people's race is marked out with victory and joy and excitement in that sense. But in other people's race, it is hard, it is full of pain and persecution and heartache. Run the race that's set before you. And that's so important for us, because we start this year together, some of us in here, your year is going to be one of amazing blessing. There's going to be answer to prayer, there is going to be victory um, over sin, you're going to see uh, lots of encouragements in your Christian life, and we praise God for it. But for others, our race might be tougher than any other year that we've ever had. But this is the race God's marked out for you. Run your race. Remember, in it, he will never leave you. In it, he is for you, not against you. There will be the grace and the strength that we've sung about already today and that we'll see a bit later in this passage. The temptation when we're in our race and it is hard is to think, well, God has abandoned me. I'm on my own. He doesn't love me. We can think we're being punished. But actually, if you're a child of God, remember, Jesus has paid your punishment once and for all at the cross. So anything that's coming into your life now is coming through God's filter of his love and kindness and grace towards you. No, God knows what we can handle, and he has promised to give us the grace and the strength to handle whatever he throws at us this year. Truth is, God has ordained that some of us go through fiery trials. And maybe this year that is for you. And as we go through those fiery trials, that is a time of refining for us. God changes us to make us more like gold. But for others, it's because you're gold already. And God knows that he can use you to shine brightly for him through your trials to those around. In this trial, maybe you're going through it now, God will strengthen you and he will bring glory to his name through you. This year, your race is marked out for you. We rejoice for those who rejoice, but we struggle on with those who struggle on. It's your race, and God will be with you, and we want to be together in it. So how do we run this race of endurance? We listen to the witnesses. We throw off anything that hinders. We remember your race. And the fourth thing is we look to the goal. Uh, the last two points briefly are found in verse 2 now. So looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is much more than an example to us. He's our savior, but he is an example too. And Jesus ran this race. 
He knew the agony of a race that he ran, and he ran it perfectly. How did Jesus run his race? Look what, how he ran. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the pain, endured the cross. Because the joy that was set before Jesus, he kept on going. Now, let's think through that for a moment. Why, how, does Je- how is Jesus our example there? Because he kept going because he knew there was joy. It was a race marked out with joy. So I've just said, haven't I, that some of us will be on a race that is going to be hard this year, our race marked out for us. But even in the midst of our trials, we can know joy. You look at Jesus' life, one of, um, one of real pain and grief and heartache, and yet he could look forward to this glorious joy. We need to remember that our race can be one of joy, but our destination is one of joy as well. And we won't miss out. God is offering us more. You know, when you think about a toddler, when a toddler gets hold of a toy, and you want them to, maybe they've got a hold of a, somebody else's toy, and you want them to drop it, and they're not going to, how would you get them to drop it? You try and show them something better, a better toy. Look at this. <laughs> oh, they go, oh, right, I like that. And then they'll drop the other one. In the same way, Jesus is saying, look, I've got something better for you a better path, a better race, a a race of lasting joy. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're longing for joy and satisfaction and happiness that will last. You've looked everywhere else and nothing has touched it. Well, this morning, Jesus invites you. Join this race. It's going to be hard. Life's hard anyway. Whoever we choose to follow, life is going to be hard. But I promise to be with you. I promise to give you joy that nothing in this world can touch, can only be found with him. Why don't you trust in him today? Follow him. He invites us all to be part of it. Because the Bible is offering us this true, lasting joy that we will know forever in eternity and we can have a taste of now as we run this race. Now, I wonder this morning, if you're a Christian, do you believe that running the race is one of joy? That being close to Jesus is full of joy? If we don't, we're not going to win. He's not going to win our heart. We're going to hold on to our toy, as it were, and not think that Jesus is any better. But today, Jesus says, come on, this is a race of joy. Let me show you. Let me give you a taste of that as we go. So let's pray this year that we will know this unshakable joy as we race together. So we look to the goal. So we listen to the witnesses. We throw off anything that hinders. We remember our race. We look to the goal. And the last thing is this. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're to look to Jesus. We're to take our eyes off other things and fix them on him. You've heard of Roger Bannister. He was the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Um, But within two months of him running that mile in 1954, a man called John Landy had run it even faster. So what happened in August in 1954, these two men came together for this historic race. And as they moved into the last lap, Landy was up ahead. He was winning. And it looked like he was going to win. But as he came close to the finish line, he just had this nagging thought, where's Bannister? Where is he? He couldn't see him. And so what did he do? He turned back. And as he turned, apparently Roger Bannister thought, I've got him. And he overtook him and Roger Bannister won. He turned and he lost. And there's a a, a statue of that race 
where you see um, Landy kind of with his head turned back and Bannister motoring past. Obviously not motoring because there's a statue, but you can see what the artist's getting at there. See, if we, have, if we are distracted in the race, then we take our eye off the goal and we can fall. We can stumble. We can lose sight of the goal. So where are we to fix our eyes? What are we to put our eyes and our mind and our hearts on? On Jesus. And look what we're told about him. We are told he is the founder of our faith. He is the founder, the pioneer of our faith, some versions say. That means he's been there. He's done it before us. We're not left on our own. He has been there. So you know the first people who went up Everest, it was a huge mammoth task. But now so many people have been. Why? Because those pioneers had been first. They'd set the path. They know the way. In the same way Jesus has been before us. He knows what we're going through. And he has been there and he says, look, I can help you. And not only that, he is the pioneer of our faith. So it was his idea to get us in this race. It wasn't your idea, but he saved you. He rescued you. He's brought you into this race. He's chosen you to be here. And he said, before the foundation of the world, you're mine. See the confidence that gives us? It's not down to you and your cleverness to get through this race. It's not down to you and your cleverness why you're even in this race. It's down to God and his love for you. And he will never let you down. There's nothing you did to make God love you. So there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. You're in the race because of him. He's the pioneer. He is the founder. He's the starter. He got you in the race. And then we're told he's also the perfecter of our faith. He begun that work in us. He got us in the race, and we're promised that he's going to take us to the end. He's going to bring it through to completion. See, when we hear about the race, and when we hear about being told to get in the race, we can often think, right, okay, come on then, let's do it. Let's, let's pull our socks up again. Let's, let's do this. And we think it's down to us. And so instead of looking to Jesus, we end up looking at ourselves. But remember what Robert Murray McShane says, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks to Jesus. Is that the ratio you work on? Or do we end up looking 30 looks at ourselves and maybe glance up to Jesus? No, we're to keep our eyes on him. God works in us and through us by his power. It means this year and in this race, there's nothing that you face that he won't be able to help you through. Nothing. He'll be with you at that moment. Store these truths up when that trial comes. He will be with you. He will help you through. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Can you see the security that brings? That he brought you into the race. He's going to keep you going to the end. We're not on our own. This is why it's important for us to remember, isn't it, that we are told that it's going to be effort, it's going to be hard, but we do it in his strength and with his might, as Paul says in Colossians 1, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy powerfully works within me so we fix our eyes on jesus he's got this and won't let us go so how do we fix our eyes on him we keep coming back to who he is keep praying and saying lord i want to see you i want to know more of jesus we keep reading his word because it's all about jesus it'll always take us back to him and he uh, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross his path was one of joy and i know i've said this many times before but remember what was the joy that kept Jesus going through the cross? What did he have after the cross that he didn't have before? That it was you. 
the joy of knowing you, the joy of having your sins forgiven, the joy of knowing your, uh, you, um, that friendship and that relationship restored with him, that kept him going. That's our Savior, the one who loves you so dearly. Keep your eyes on him. Don't take your eyes off him this year. How do we run this race? We listen to the witnesses. He is faithful to the end. Throw off everything that hinders. Remember your race marked out for you. Look to the goal, the one of glorious joy, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray this year that we run with endurance. Let's get back in the race. He's with us. We're with each other as we go towards the, the finishing line together. Let's pray before we sing our last song. Father, we thank you uh, for the reminder this morning that this is a race that we're in. Help us if we've fallen off the site, if we've stopped running or taken our eyes off Jesus. Please, Lord, would you help us this morning, by your grace, to run with endurance the race marked out for us. And we pray that you'd help us to do this for the glory of Jesus. In his name, amen.